You're listening to the Taming Hindrances podcast. Conversations about self-awareness and mental health. We talk about anything and everything on the podcast. Real experiences, real life. Come get triggered. That's right. Come get triggered on the Taming Hindrances podcast. My name's Phil. I'm the host and creator of the podcast. And today's episode is all about relationships. Relationships are something that pervades almost everything we do. It is a subject not only to be relegated to the fringes of what we do in our everyday lives, but also to the direct correlation between our mental states and those in which we share them with. You have a relationship with family, with friends, with food, with entertainment, with information, with money. There's a relationship in some way combining just about everything we do. That's why relationships can be a really important auditing factor for where we are, not just mentally, but in a grander sense of life in general. And I find that it's often we in society have developed specific ways in which relationships, quote unquote, should be interacted with or specific ways you should be acting inside of your relationships. You know, we have great ones of these such as, you know, respect your elders or, you know, those types of things. Um, be respectful to others, to those in positions that can help you. And, you know, when you want to have a, a mutual relationship with information or uh, skill trade, things of those nature, then there's that same context, but twisted. And that's, you know, have respect and admiration for those more powerful than you or at a, at a higher status than you are, you know, and that's kind of where things can, um, well, they can go awry and they can really mess with who someone is, who someone is as a person, but also how they them then are looking at themselves. So I've spoken before about how in my growing up, my relationship with my family was very contested and I grew up in a broken home. Uh, my parents were divorced. My siblings were much older than I was. They weren't really around all that much. And I spent a lot of time alone. So I developed an oddity of relationships in the realm of family. Family was a four letter word for me. It still is a four letter word for me. And I haven't really had the necessity to change that at this point. Friends at one point in my life were a four letter word. And over time I've, I've modified that in some ways, but I find that's kind of common. It's common for people to have gone through rough patches, at least of bad relationships or relationships that just weren't in their best interest. Unfortunately, I often hear that those people got stuck in those, those relationships or in some sort of cyclical nature of those types of relationships. 
And I'm here to say it's really important we look at the relationships not only physically but mentally and with not only just other human beings but with the things we interact with. I don't believe in family units and or structures. I don't believe it's necessary for someone to have that type of relationship that we see as the, you know, grand ultimate happy family. Uh, divorce rates are through the roof over, you know, the last, I mean, just core in correlation, divorce rates are increasing in at least the United States of America. The number of people I've met who have, you know, talked about coming from a broken home or having troubled relationships with their family is more so than not. And yet we constantly speak of, you know, happy families and uh, these types of things. When throughout history, we've seen a combination of strife inside the family unit. Going all the way back to just, if you look at the history of royalty, it's lined with conflict between brothers and sisters and brothers and brothers and sisters and sisters and aunts and uncles. And it's, it's a conflict. I mean, the history of humanity is essentially conflict, but the family unit has always been in conflict. There's the old versus the new, the old ways of doing things versus raising a new generation of how to do things. And the, the complete amalgamation of things that go into that. And I do not have children. And I really can't speak to raising them. I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not a kid person. It's just not who I am. That being said, I was a child. I mean, we've all been children. That's, that's how the human system works. We start as children. We grow up. Um, we learn things. And a lot of what we learn comes from our family at first, because those are the people we're around. That's the situation, the environment if it, you know, you want to call it something, it's the it's nature versus nurture. The nurture is supposed to come from that family unit and it can go either way. What we need to keep in mind is the impression that can be left on an adolescent, specifically from the ages of zero to seven and how that might, you know, through childhood development and those types of things change the outlook in which that person is then they're going to live. From the ages of zero to seven, you're hanging out in this theta brainwave pattern. Um, theta is kind of that like daydreamy patterning. And, and you know, you might elevate up into beta a little bit. You're not really necessarily getting into alpha wave brainwave patterning, which is like active thinking and those types of things. It's mostly theta from zero to seven. And it's, it's this absorption factor. We're absorbing what we're watching. We're, we're learning social interaction, social cueing, you know, oh, we have to feed ourselves. Okay, I need to eat. Cool, got that. Uh, you know, okay, this is where I go to get food. This is, you know, a daily routine thing, learning, you know, education. We, we start absorbing all these things. But specifically what we're absorbing is what most all animal species absorb, and that's how to interact with the other animals of your species, how, how human is supposed to interact with human, how human interacts with dog, you know, those types of things, how the cat interacts with everything but me, those types of things. Um, 
these relationships, if they were, start very subconsciously, very in that theta state of like, okay, you know, what's going on here? Touch, sensation. And then they evolve into more of a, a mental game. If you were, if you would, it's a, it's a, it's a mental game and specifically some people take it even farther than that. They make it this mental challenge, these relationships, you know, I see it in myself. If I look back when I was young, I just wanted acceptance. I wanted to be noticed. I did everything I could, including stupid things like acting like I fell off my bike or you know, simulating injury, acting essentially to be noticed, to be a, a little bit more than just a, a blip on a radar that no one was paying attention to. I sought this out because I didn't get a lot of it. I was alone constantly and I wanted some sort of recognition. I wanted someone to pay attention to me and I did very stupid things to get it until I learned in later life that I didn't need that recognition. I didn't need someone to pay attention to me. I needed to pay attention to myself. I wasn't necessarily acting out. I wasn't, a, I had violent tendencies towards myself, not others. I didn't, there was very few times that I acted out violently towards other people. I was not a, a confrontational person. In, in fact, I shied away from most confrontation because it was loud and I didn't like loud noises. And I just, wasn't worth my time. I was like, fuck that. I'm out. I, I, I don't, there's yelling. I'll be in the other room entertaining myself. I found more often I was bored and I wanted someone to like give me some sort of mental stimulation. And I didn't go seek out drama in the fact of an argument or a confrontation. I went and sought out drama in what I was lacking. The drama I was seeking was care and nurturing and, you know, that's why I simulated an injury because I wanted someone to care for me. I didn't want to just be left to my own devices and figure it out on my own. I was young. I wanted, I wanted someone to care for me. I wanted to stick out comparative to my, my siblings and those types of things. I wanted to feel different in some way. And so I, like I said, I did stupid things. I simulated injuries or, those types of things. I, I was slightly destructive in the fact that like I would break things here and there. I was a bit of a pyrotechnic. Uh, you know, I, I set some things on fire, but I knew there was a hard boundary between like destroying property and harming someone else. And so that, that kind of kept me from being a fighter. I mean, I, I fought verbally more often than not, but no major physical altercations. Uh, in fact, I was, I was, I was just a fat meek person at that point. I, uh, my adolescence, I was just, just this fat blob of just meekness and wanted to be left alone until it didn't want to be left alone. And then it would act out in some stupid way that was never going to work and just made me look ridiculous. But I was always seeking others praise a little bit. And I learned like, that's not, it's not what I really wanted. Okay. So we, we shedded that very quickly. It wasn't really praise that I wanted. I didn't care about that. Cause I got praise occasionally with grades or st stuff like that. And my family unit had a, a way of praising me for no fucking reason whatsoever. Just like 
pick the most stereotypical thing you could praise someone for and then like use that and move on. Just like, okay, we'll just, we'll throw this bone over that direction and we'll move on. So they'd be like, Oh, you know, your grades are great. You're so smart. My grades were horrendous. I just never showed them my poor card. I was intelligent in the fact that like, yeah, I grasped math very easily and those types of things. But when it came to actually applying myself, very little, I applied myself so little. It was, it was embarrassing. If I think back about it, my teachers used to get super mad about how little I actually applied myself. And it was to my detriment. I should have applied myself more. I probably would have been a fucking engineer or something, but the relationship with my family became less and less and less and less to the point where I realized it wasn't serving me anyway. It was actually a detriment to me and I needed to eliminate myself from it. And the way in which I did this is I created, I created relationships inside my head and I wasn't aware of it at the time. And I'm still piecing together how maybe it would have came about. And I'll share that if I ever figure it out. But at first it was specifically with my relationship with entertainment. And I think this is a big thing people can look at is what is your relationship with entertainment? What has your relationship with entertainment been? How do you entertain yourself? How did you entertain yourself? What specific parts of entertainment have changed for you? And those type of interactions on a relationship scale, what is your relationship with entertainment? Mine was escape. My relationship with entertainment was just get out of the reality that I was living in and immerse myself in the most fantastical ideas possible. I attached myself to sci-fi and, and, and high fantasy and, and all these different types of stories and interactions that weren't the world I lived in. You know, I was hoping for magical creatures to come walking out of the woods as a child and whisk me away to what was actually real. And this whole normal life was just all bullshit. And it was, they were hiding me from the actual reality. That's what I was looking for. I went, as I got older and I got a little more Gothic and a little bit more dark, I wanted vampires to, you know, be real and I could be a vampire and I could get away from all this shit. These were the, the ideas that I was seeking and I was seeking the entertainment to, to build those worlds in my head. And it was this, this absolute necessity for escape. It was, it was so much of a relationship with entertainment that it was escapism that it became a coping mechanism. My relationship with my family caused the necessity for escape and my relationship with entertainment built a coping mechanism that I would there use till this day. And I don't know if everyone realizes this is a possibility that the relationships and interactions that start as very harmless nothingness, be it a new friendship or a new love interest or a problem with the family unit or a new activity we're trying, uh, a new sport or an entertainment piece, uh, a new genre of a book. We start to build relationships with these things on grand scales and on small scales. As I say a lot, as above, so below. The grand scale of relationships for me has been subterfuge. If I had to, if I had to describe it overall, it's subterfuge. 
And that subterfuge started as a child lying to my parents, lying to my siblings, lying to my friends, trying to make me seem more cool or couth or more entertaining. And through this act of subterfuge, I learned a valuable lesson, and that is something you can use both to detriment and advancement. Fake it till you make it. I faked something so well that I became an actor of sorts. I could fake an injury very well. I was very good at it. I had seen enough injuries throughout my, you know, young, limited social interactions with others, but they were major injuries. The first time I saw a dead body, I was a, I either just became a teenager or very soon after. It was not very, I was, I was very young the first time I saw a dead body. I'm not maybe 10 to 13, somewhere in there. I don't remember the exact time frame, but I, I remember the first dead body I ever saw. I specifically was standing at the scene where the dead body was. That was something that almost in the time frame and in the context in which it was happening seemed normal. It seemed otherworldly but normal at the same time. It's a very it was a very weird it was like almost like a movie. And it created this weird shift of reality versus entertainment and this odd amalgamation I was twisting it into. And I developed relationships then differently. I had started the process, but hadn't really figured out what was going on. And the, and the first time I saw a dead body, um, the quick story of it is I was, uh, my parents were divorced. I, my dad always like lived, I don't know, different places. It, it changed a couple times, but specifically my father was always like, we were always driving somewhere. That's just what I remember. Like I got picked up. I went with him. We drove to his house and then like I slept and then like we drove to his work or like he was just constantly driving around. Just always going places, doing things. And he had this very self-righteousness, but to an extent it was this self-righteousness that I had built of like, wanting people to see him as self-righteous as this honorable man, as this, this influence of, you know, what you should do and, you know, of justice and those types of things. And it was, it was bullshit. If I had to, you know, add some piece to it, did he, you know, did he do right by a lot of people? Yes, yeah, yeah, certainly he was, he was trying to do the right thing in most cases, but like he wanted recognition for it. You could definitely tell that in the end. And I, I attached myself to that slightly and the reason I'm saying that is because on this particular trip we were driving, uh, there was another individual in the, it, we were in a truck. I remember I was sitting in this, in the center of the truck. Cause that was like a common thing I had to do as a kid was sit in the middle on the bench seat in the truck. And it was raining, of course, you know, and we're driving and there's an accident scene. Well, my father was in the military and uh, the other person with us was also in the military. I, I can't remember. I, there's two people it could have been, but I don't, it doesn't really matter. But, I do know they were military personnel. They worked with my father in that context. And I remember like us driving and we were like the first person's coming up to the scene. And I remember my dad saying, should we stop? 
And the other person was like, yeah, yeah, we have to. So there was like a, like, what do we do with Philip? Like, what do we, what do we do with the little kid in the truck? And as we got to the scene, there was clearly a body on the ground. And I remember not my father, but this other individual saying, Hey, you know, stay with me. And, you know, you know, just, just stay close to me. Your dad needs to, you know, we're going to get out of the truck. You're going to, he's going to go check this. Why they didn't leave me in the truck. I have no idea, but they left the doors of the truck open. I got out and my dad went over to the scene and I was with this other individual and, you know, he was keeping an eye on me, but he was also like checking other things. And they obviously knew like they were in like military mode. Like they had just rolled up on, you know, a situation and, my dad took the lead to check the scene. This guy was like watching for other, and he was like directing traffic and I was there and I remember turning and my dad was squatting next to a body. And that's when he told this guy to put me back in the truck. Cause clearly it was a dead body. Like person was unresponsive. They weren't moving. There was blood on the ground. That moment was like a movie. That was the only way I could like, have an interaction with it. It's like, I've seen this in a movie. Like I've seen, you know, like the, I, I, I don't know, like, you know, the sheriff rolls up on, it was like, that it was like the sheriff rolls up on an accident scene. There's a body and they're invested. Like that's what it felt like. But it wasn't like me watching my dad control this accident scene. And then like when the police officer like rolled up, my dad was like, Hey, I'm in the military. He's my military. ID. But while well, like, I'm going to let you take care of the scene now, like he just, seamlessly like engaged with this situation. And you know, that's a respectable thing. Like it just didn't phase him. And like he checked for other, it was just one person. Like it was a bad accident. It was one person. I'm going to guess like drunk driver situation. They didn't hit anyone else. It was like, um, this, it was weird. It was like a center guardrail thing, but yeah, like it was just a single car accident. And you know, the body had literally been ejected from the thing. Like it was a mess. But the only way my mind could comprehend the relationships of this situation, the overall appeal of it was like in a movie context. It's like, I've seen this in a movie. What do they do? So I became like, I don't know, different. Instead of being a child, seeing a dead body for the first time and this horrible accident scene, I decided to be more like the individual I was with, the one standing next to me. Very stoic in nature, just directing traffic, paying attention. Every once in a while, he would like move me, like guide me. Like So I was like, okay, I need to pay attention to this guy. He's clearly in control of things. And that was the relationship. It's just this person is clearly knows what they're doing. It's making things happen. And I should just act like them because we're just in a fucking movie. Like, this is exactly what happens in movies. And it just, it just flowed. And then he put me back in the truck and I just watched it unfold over the next couple minutes. It didn't take long for uh, the police and EMS to show up. But as soon as, you know, he got back in the truck, moved the truck while my dad interacted with like the police and stuff. And then we were on our way. I guess they took statements. It, it didn't feel very long to me. I mean, you know, time's 
speeds up, slows down in those instances. But my relationship with that moment in my life was predicated by my relationship with entertainment and how I saw things like that in the movies. And the weird part was when I was done and we were on our way, like when the whole situation was over and we were just back in the truck and driving to our destination, there was little talk until my dad decided to like ask me if I was okay. And instead of me being like, no, what the fuck just happened? Like, what was that? Explain. I took it upon myself to act like those people in the movie, to act like the individual who was still sitting next to me, who had just gotten out direct traffic and just acted like nothing was wrong. So I just acted like there was nothing wrong. I said, no, I'm fine. And it didn't like phase them either. They were just like, all right, he's cool. Like he's shit happens. Right. And instead of like there being this description of like, Hey, you know, accidents like this happened, you know, you know, that was a dead body, nothing. So I was left and I'm not, I'm not faulting them at this point. Cause I mean, who knows what was going through their heads? Like, you know, it was crazy. So instead I was left with, Hey, movie interactions work. That's something I could strive to. So instead of having a father figure relationship with my dad, cause I didn't, he wasn't around a lot and stuff like that. I built one in my head and that one was built on what I saw in movies. The perfect interactions that someone gets to sit down and write at a table time and time again, and then read with others, get input, rewrite and make entertaining. My entire relationship with other people at that point was then based on being entertaining in multiple different ways, being it being the stoic one who nothing troubles or being the one who doesn't act when the loud noise goes off or, you know, even though I hated loud noises, I was building these falsifications from relationships I had to build in my head. I had developed inner voices that would simulate themselves for me. What would a father say? What would a mother say? What would a bigger brother, what an older sister, what would you say to a younger, you know, I had to simulate these relationships because I, I was not necessarily getting them. And then I realized a little bit later, not only was I simulating these relationships, at a, at a grand scale at this point, I was more likely to interact with those simulated relationships than I was with the family ones that I could have or the friends ones I could have. I was more, I don't want to say entertained, but more likely to interact with the simulations and found that the simulations could be a little bit more, you know, better with morals and ethics. And like, we're just generally filling in the void better than these other people could for me. 
and again, I'm not quite sure what all stirred that into being and what caused that, but it definitely came from my relationship with entertainment. This escapism I was seeking on a regular basis and video games added, it got added in after, you know, movies and TV and books. And then there was video games and just this constant seeking of escapism through my relationship with entertainment. And by doing so, my relationship with others started to diminish greatly. And I didn't feel like I needed them as much. And instead, then I had to look at my relationship with myself. I do distinctly remember a time frame in which teenage me realized what I was doing was ridiculous, but I did it anyway. I acted despondent, stoic. I hid my depression, my suicidal tendencies. And instead I latched on to ideas that were outside of that. I got a job pretty young. You know, my first like real, real job was probably when I was around 15. And I was working. Hmm. Let's just say 16, just for, you know, just for the sake of it. I, around 16, I was like the real job. I was working for the school that I was going to. I went to a tech school, vocational career school in high school. It was, you know, you could be a full-time high school student. You'd be a full-time tech student. I chose tech student to get out of gym class, essentially. That's really why I was a fat kid. I didn't want to go to gym class. But I also knew, like, I didn't really plan on going to college at the time. And, you know, I wanted to get out in the workforce and make money. And I could work while I went to school, we worked two days, start, we worked two days a week and then, um, it moved up to three days a week. So my senior year of high school, three days a week, I was working at the school actually. And then two days a week I was in classes. That's how it worked out. And that, was a profound shift in that relationship realm. Now I had a relationship with work and work was real. And my relationship with work allowed me reprieve from my relationships at home. I could now replace all of that with these interesting individuals I was now working with. And I was working with teachers and facilitators and I was working in IT. You know, I was part of the IT program at the school. I pitched a network upgrade to the um, director of the school and had done all the research. My boss supported me and, you know, we did this thing. I, it was essentially a project I was doing, but also like was valuable to the school at the same time to pitch this idea to upgrade to uh, a T3 network or T1, it might've been a T1. I think, yeah, we, we were upgrading the phone system anyway. And we, I wanted to upgrade our, our, to a T1 network. I even went to like the intermediary for the school district and like sat through a, a presentation from a, a vendor and like a whole bunch of shit at like 17. And I had to present this to the director. And yes, he was a director of a school. So he knew he was dealing with a child and a, a student, but he didn't treat me that way. He treated me like one of his employees. And that was, it was extremely profound for me to be going through that situation, to be surrounded by what I 
at that time considered like real education and in a correct idea of like vocational careers and like that type of education and be around these teachers and instructors, specifically some who had a profound influence on me. Dr. Dyer, oh, Dr. Wagenseller and Mr. Dyer, if you ever hear this profound change in my life, thank you for that. Um, Dr. Scarpello also, you know, these teachers I were, I was around and I'm, I'm not naming some cause I, I'm just not going to get into that right now, but they were having a profound change on what I saw as relationships. And that changed my relationship with education. And although I was still being lazy and not really applying myself, I was applying myself to my work where my education really made me more effective. My education from my IT instructor made me better at my job. My math skills made me better at my job. I was doing IT. There was math involved. Science. We were doing a lot with physics. I was learning about electricity. That helped me with my, like the vocational center that I went to, the tech school, the um, academics we took were designed to make us better at the career path we had chosen. So that's what I was getting. Dr. Wagenseller, my English teacher, changed the way I interacted with writers that I wasn't different in some way from these people. He showed me the humanity behind writers and how that can change the story. So I had this, this profound realization that I had created simulacrum without physical form, these simulations of relationships. And that had gotten me so far. But now I was replacing that with new simulations. And I continued to do this into my adulthood when I started taking out martial arts. I started taking out martial arts around when I was 18 and the individual who was my instructor clearly knew I lacked a, fagger, a, a, a father figure and clearly knew I probably needed that in some way in my life. But unfortunately, I'm not a follower. And I, I learned throughout this time period that I'm not a follower in any way. And so these relationships that I was building were still slightly falsified because I hadn't built a relationship with myself just yet. And that's really where martial arts took me down this road of self interaction. And I think that's a big relationship. We don't necessarily get into a lot because it's hard to talk about. How do you interact with yourself? What is your relationship with yourself? My relationship with myself specifically was that of hatred and, and just, I didn't like myself. I didn't like who I was. I knew I was faking things. I knew I was being false, but at the same time, those things were becoming more real and it was fake it to you can, you know, fake it till you make it. And I was building this, like people thought I was the most responsible person and like feels always super responsible. And then I could use that to my advantage. And it was just, it was an interesting thing to look back on to be like, how was I interacting with these things? I had like one friend I hung out with until, you know, high school and like just these weird relationships. And eventually, you know, coming to today, it's probably not the right thing to say, but I don't really give a fuck. 
you don't need your family. It's not a requirement. Like some where along the line, we said like family's a requirement for you to be successful. And that's not true. A support system. Maybe. Yeah. I would make an argument for a support system, but you can be your own support system. If you really want to be that strong. It takes a lot. I'm not saying it's the right choice, but it's a possibility. I built relationships in my head that were representations of what someone really should have been saying, not what I was getting told. And even though I was still at times seeking out being seen a certain way, it forced me to come to the conclusion that I was seeking people's approval. That's what I wanted. I wanted people to like me. I wanted people to like me. That's what it boiled down to. My relationship with myself is I didn't like myself. And so I was seeking that out in others. But I hadn't been looking at my relationship yet. I hadn't been looking at my relationship with myself. I looked at my relationship with entertainment and, and these other things, but I hadn't looked at my relationship with myself. And this is where I think relationships is a very important conversation to have. What is your relationship with food? Mine was shitty. I ate terribly and I ate fill voids and I, I ate for comfort. What you know, what's your relationship with entertainment? I've talked about mine. How do the structures of your relationship affect you on a daily basis, on a yearly basis, on a yearly basis, my family interactions were nothing but negative, nothing but, Oh, I gotta go to that. Fuck. I don't want to go to that. That's just going to be a, a reminder of how shitty this is. Every time after I had like moved out and like started to move on with my life and was getting away from everyone, I still interacted with my family on occasion, but I knew some weird intuition piece knew every time I got a phone call to go to one of the events or like anytime someone ever asked me to help with something, I was going to regret it. It was going to make me feel more shitty. Something bad was going to happen at it. I was just going to be reminded. And it did. It happened over and over and over again. Not to mention on top of this, that I had experienced sexual abuse as a child. So my relationship with personal interaction was very askew. My relationship with quote unquote love doesn't exist. I have written papers when I was, you know, seemingly trying to be some sort of scholarly philosophical person about what love is and how it's this X factor that changes everything. But that was coming from a philosophical standpoint. I was trying to understand something I had not really experienced nor knew much of. Specifically, the fact that sexual encounters were somehow tied to loving relationships. Well, that's a fucked up place to come from because that's not necessary for you to have love for someone else, apparently. And I would agree with that. Although I do not, again, understand what love is in context and or whatever say I felt it to a degree that like, I was like, man, I am loved, but I've also survived without it. So, Nature versus nurture, not really sure on that one. And I'm not saying that's the norm or that's how it should be. What I'm saying is I've had to sit down and look at these relationships and how 
past relationships can affect new relationships. And ex- specifically I've experienced in my life how someone's past experiences in relationship can completely fuck up current ones. I've watched it happen time and time again. And I'm not saying that's the wrong way to go about things because people are defensive and people are tribal and they want to be in their tribes and those types of things. And we really need to take that time to do the self-reflection, which is part of self-awareness to understand the interactions of your own relationship with yourself and then find a good basis to work from when you're also looking at the other interactions and it might go vice versa. You might have to look at your relationship with everything else to figure out what your relationship with yourself is. Looking at my relationship with food, you can easily tell back then and I give a shit about myself. Fuck that guy. <laughs> no suicidal to the day. That was, that was it. Like, no, maybe food will kill me. Maybe I'll have a heart attack young. Maybe like, I didn't care. My work ethic, my work drive, those types of things. Like I didn't care what my body went through. That's where my great work ethic came from. If there's anything most people have said about me in the past, when it comes to working, man, he's got a good work ethic. He works like seven jobs. Cause I didn't care what my body went through. I just do it broken because the pain was a comfort. My relationship with pain was a comforting idea. My, my relationship with the world around me had everything to do with my relationship with my depression. And as I've said before, your depression is yours and mine is mine. And I cannot understand yours. You can't really understand mine. I can, we can try to give each other a little piece here and there and, and get some sort of, some sort of semblance of agreement maybe, or, or sympathy or empathy or those types of things. But even so some people don't want that. So I stick to the idea that I cannot, I, I cannot and will never say that I understand your depression. I simply know that you are or have experienced depression and it's not, it's not a bad thing. You can use that. I used it in this instance in my relationship with depression to see the world around me. And oh, what a beautiful world it was. My creativity is solely connected in every facet to my depression. I'm the most creative when I am morbidly depressed. The deeper I go down the rabbit hole, the deeper I come into some weird creative understanding of the world. And it's very comforting to me. It's not what the depiction of it in the entertainment model is of like this deep swirling, dark death abyss of skulls and bones and, and, and blood and terror and fear and anxiety. No, 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 no. My depression is that deep, dark swirling abyss with images of great clarity in human strife and broken relationships and interactions with the world around. Like it's just, it's the way I interacted with everything around me was through this depression and were there negative pieces? Yes. I'm not saying there are no negative pieces to depression and mental health. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you need to come from it from a connotation of middle ground homeostasis from a a, a solid middle basis. 
I'm not extreme in any way. And when you can get to that point, when you come to a, a moment of clarity inside of this relationship you have with your mental health, you can then use that to clarify and understand your relationships with everything else. You can have step back, step back moments. You, I can, with my understanding of my relationship with my mental health and how it works, I can step back from the overeating and be like, whoa, 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 calm it down there, son. Take a chill pill. Why are you eating so much? What's going on? I can look at how hard I'm working and how many hours I'm putting in and look at my lower back and go, Hey, you gotta, you gotta get on the inversion table. You gotta get back in the sauna. You gotta take your vitamins. You know, I've been able to do that through my relationship with the interaction of myself and my mental health. And your interaction with your mental health, again, comes from an, it's from a neutral standpoint, not a negative standpoint. Mental health is not a negative thing. It's just the health of your mentality. That's all mental health is. Health of your mentality. What's your relationship with it? Can you take a step back moment? Have you looked into like, oh, I'm feeling a little down today. Why am I feeling down? Well, that's a bad question. We know don't ask why questions. How is what I'm doing in correspondence to me feeling down? Am I in my pajamas, vegging out on the couch, trying to feel some semblance of comfort? That may not be a bad thing. Maybe I just need to get that out of my system for this day, and then I can get back on it tomorrow. Or three days, and then I can get back on it. That's where relationships are the most important. And it's not just the relationships we have with our family units, because in my eyes, fuck those. Sorry, but like, not sorry. If you're in a troubled situation in your family unit and it is dragging you down, if it is making you feel inadequate, if it is hurting you, remove yourself. They're not worth it. They don't understand and they will never understand. My family from day one couldn't understand me. It just wasn't possible for them. They had not had the experiences by that point to come up with an understanding of who I was as a person. I don't know if that was by design or not. Who knows? But there's certainly in retrospect, and yes, hindsight's twenty twenty, but... In retrospect, my family was incapable of understanding me. And thus, we were incapable of having a real relationship. And partly, that's because of me. I didn't know how to articulate myself to them and or explain to them why they just weren't getting it or how they could be better at it. I was instead providing them falsities to make them more comfortable because I thought that's what I should do as a good family member. 
And then I still had shitty family members. What are you going to do? You don't blame them and you don't blame yourself. In my eyes, that's what you do. You stay neutral. But you understand that your relationship with yourself needs to be settled. It needs to be an interaction you're comfortable with. And if that interaction says, fuck them, I can't do this shit anymore. I don't need the depressive states they're putting me in. I don't need the downward spiral they're causing. I don't need all the negativity that they're they're building. I need something other than that, then step away from it. And understand that, sure, maybe in everyone else's eyes it makes you a bad person. But fuck them. They'll never understand. And that's not their fault. So don't blame them. Don't don't attach to that idea of blame. That's a bad relationship. That's a toxic relationship to bring in a word we've been using in society a little bit more recently. Toxic relationships. I'm a little hesitant to bring in that idea, but they do exist. There's a much greater and grander scale we can look at relationships when it comes to this whole idea of describing them as toxic. And I like to say, are they in balance? Are your relationships in balance? Because we know that's one of the mysteries. That's one of the great teachings of all societies throughout time, be it hidden or non. Things are seeking balance. Are your relationships balanced? Nuanced, are they? Yes, we're going to get into psychology, and I'm not a psychologist. I cannot give you psychological advice. Not a doctor. I cannot diagnose or prescribe. Take everything I say with a grain of salt. I'm just an idiot on the internet trying to make you think more. Are your relationships balanced? Balance does not include the interaction between two individuals. If one person's a taker and another person's a giver, that's not a balanced relationship. That's just give and take. It's a one-way direction. One-way directions are not balanced. A balanced interaction would be give and take on both sides. That's a balanced interaction. In my eyes, a toxic relationship typically occurs when there's give and take and nothing else. One side gives, one side takes. One side gives, one side takes. That's a toxic relationship. Is a taker a toxic person? That's that's a whole different discussion. Some people need to take. You get what you need, not what you want. If you just need to take, that's what you're going to get. You're going to get an unbalanced relationship in the end. So you better be willing to throw it away because you're going to have to because they're certainly going to figure it out eventually. So if you want that taking to continue, you need to also give. And if you look hard enough, most people can find they are capable of both, taking and giving. I'm very bad at the taking part. Quite more readily just give. But that was fucking up relationships. I was unbalancing relationships by just constantly giving. I was giving my family what they wanted to see. I was giving them an out. 
It was making it easy for them. Don't talk about the sexual abuse. Don't talk about the verbal abuse. Don't talk about the physical abuse. Don't talk about the strife I was going through between having to bounce between different locations every summer because no one had time for me or, you know, don't talk about having to go stay with my father and then just have to go with him to work and be left on my own devices on a fucking tree farm in the middle of fucking nowhere and have to hang out with the workers instead of with him or being dragged along to whatever my mom had to do because there was no one to watch me and her to have to like suffer through that whole thing. Cause she couldn't do what she wanted to do. She couldn't enjoy her life because she was stuck with some young little child that she couldn't pawn off on one of my siblings because they were already grown and gone or it just said, fuck you and left that side of the family. Anyway, struggles of a single mother. That's a relationship. She very rarely got to have a relationship with the things she enjoyed because she constantly had to have a relationship with responsibility. And that wasn't imbalanced. The relationship between responsibility and reward was not balanced in her, in my eyes, to her situation. I'm sure she would say otherwise. She was a very good person. We didn't get along, though. Because I gave her what I thought she needed. I gave her what I thought she should see. It imbalanced the, the whole relationship. It made it fake. My relationship with my family was fake. Do they know that? Maybe. I don't know. I'm sure they guessed at some point. And if they looked back, they probably could figure it out. It was just fake. It was just fake. The whole thing was fake. They couldn't understand me. I didn't necessarily want them to. So it was a one-sided thing. So I created other relationships that were also fake. I've built a relationship with subterfuge. I've used it my entire life. It was, some, it was one of the earliest memories of learning about what lies were and how to interact with them and how you could lie to someone. And oh, it was fine. It, it was good for them. It was white lies, it was, you know, caused them less strife. I just lied. I made up the relationship. It was fake. It was one-sided. It was no balance. There was no balance in these relationships. That came reflective from the non-balance inside myself. I didn't think I deserved these things. I didn't think I should exist. I didn't think that this world that I had to be forced to interact with was the real world. I wanted something else to exist. I wanted that escapism. I wanted these fantasy ideas to be more real than what I had to do. And then my work ethic and my workaholism. Home is where the horror is. Go to work. That became a coping mechanism. My, my relationship with work was a coping mechanism. I used work to cope with the other shit I had to deal with. No, I'd rather just go to work and focus on work. I've continued to do that to this day to some extent. Is it a bad coping mechanism? No. I, relationships with coping mechanisms is another conversation almost in its own entirety. Coping mechanisms aren't horrible things. It's sometimes necessary to have a coping mechanism. That's okay. In my eyes. You should have a conversation with what are your coping mechanisms? 
How do they affect you? How are they affecting your relationships? Are you an alcoholic? Is that fucking with your world? Is it creating a non-reality that you're trying to exist in? Do you just play video games all day long and never interact with anyone ever? Maybe that's fine. Maybe you're not hurting anyone. But if there's an iota that you're hurting yourself in some way or hurting someone else, you really should look at this. It's not balanced. Neutrality, homeostasis. What is the balance? What is the balance to your relationships? Are your relationships balanced? How can you balance them out? This conversation evolves eventually with the interaction of ourselves and, and, and self-awareness to what don't I like about these relationships that I'm, I'm currently involved in? How can I change them? How can I better them? How can I better myself? How can I interact with myself to be more the way I, I want to be? Or, or even, like I said, you get what you need, not what you want. If you need more money, you'll become better at working and go to work more or you'll fail. You get what you need, not what you want. If you want more money, you might put that off. You might try a little bit here and there, fail or, you know, but repetition is the mother of all skill. Failure is his father. It's okay to fail. You can fail at getting something you need. I failed at getting some sort of nurturing experience in my childhood. I failed at getting that. And it's something I greatly needed at the time. It came out later. I figured it out later. So needs and wants, there's a scale to them. And there's a scale to relationships. And there must be a balance. There, everything is always seeking balance. So I ask you to look at your relationships and see if they are in balance, how you could balance them better. And look at the grander scale of relationships, not just your personal interactions with your family. I know I harp on that a lot because I don't necessarily believe in the family unit. That is not to say that I don't believe families can be very powerful and very appropriate and really engage with each other and, and present amazing things. There just needs to be more of a careful look and careful interaction in families because it's very much easier. It's easier for a family individual on that relationship level to do shit to hurt another family member, not thinking of it that way. Just, oh, I'm their family member. Like, they'll fucking. My family used to make fun of me about my. how excited I would get about Eastern or Western, specifically Eastern philosophies and Eastern cultures and other cultures and how much I was into like the martial arts stuff that I hadn't even gotten into yet. Like I always wanted to do martial arts. I just had no way to get into it, you know? And like anime, like they didn't understand that I, I watched and like why and like other, like, Sub, just a subtitled movie in general. I wouldn't, it wasn't just always anime. I watched like films from other countries and my, my interaction with technology and how I was really in it. They just, they, again, they didn't understand who, me as a person. They couldn't. So they would make fun of me about it. 
all the time. Specifically, my brother's wife would pick on me constantly about shit. Then he would rag on me, and then like everybody else would join in and laugh about it. And they thought it was okay to make these jokes and pick on me and jab at me because they were we were family. They didn't hate me. They didn't want to, you know, they weren't trying to do me harm. It was all just, you know, leisurely fun. That's just what we did. We, we picked on each other. I didn't fucking take it that way. These people didn't understand me. They didn't know who I was. They were harping on every like I had. They thought everything I liked was stupid. But yet here they were telling me how intelligent I was and, oh, you're so smart, you know, great at school and you get math and, but like everything you like is stupid. You're a fucking idiot. Ha 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 ha. Fuck you. That was my answer in my head every time. Every time was shut up, stop talking. They're just going to keep making fun of you. Fuck them. They don't deserve to know who I am. They're never going to get it. That was the answer. So yeah, there was a lot of anger. A lot. Oh, the animosity, never ending. It built and built and built. Because families will do that. They will take these minor representations of interactions that they think is okay. Because they're family. That's the relationship. Family gives you a pass. So that's what I think people need to be careful of in the family unit. And I'm not saying there's the complete opposite of that. I've seen family units. I've seen kids, and I call them kids, but they weren't much younger than me. But when I was working in the pizza shop or working in kitchens in the restaurant industry, every once in a while I would meet a kid. One just stood out because most people in the restaurant industry are a little fucked up. Or they come from a, a broken family or something. Like, there's always something. Um, but every once in a while, I would meet one of these kids who, like, came from a very supportive family. That's how they got the job. Like, their parents knew the owner, and then they got them the job. And, like, they would drop them off and pick them up. And it was just some 16-year-old kid. And mom would go out of her way, drop the kid off, pick him up. And, like, that might not be out of the normal. But then that kid would talk about, like, oh, yeah, you know, my parents are taking me to go see this to, you know, and they were just very supportive of these kids. And then I would meet the parents and I'd be like, wow, wow. I didn't have that, but man, that's cool. So I'm not against family units. I'm not against, I am against people taking that standard of of relationships and considering it to be a pass or considering that the normality of a relationship exists in this, this defined state that, makes it unscathable, unchangeable. It's not fucking true. Relationships are ever changing. They're ever shifting and moving. That's why the relationship with yourself is so important because it will give you a basis to look at all these other relationships and realize, eh, maybe that one's not for me. And that's okay. We don't need to spend more time on it than that. It's okay. It's because we give so much of ourselves into a relationship that things can get dicey and they can have profound effects on us. This isn't to say that you shouldn't share yourself with others and you know be social, but if you're an introvert, I get it, but I don't get it. I get introvertedness. I don't get 
you're a jerk. There's a common ground we can find. We just don't want to be in the same room or talk to each other. It's fine. But the reality is we need a basis to look at these relationships because if we look at these relationships as a whole by others defined standards, we're never going to come to a correct conclusion. There is going to be no balance there and people are going to take advantage of it. That's just going to happen. And we just need to be aware of it. Self-awareness eventually projects like relationships out into the world around us. And I guess in some way that statement would make it sound quite like I'm saying that depression and mental health is a great way to attain self-awareness and a filtration system to express yourself to the world. I think it is. I think it can be that your relationship with your mental health can certainly become a great basis for interacting with all other relationships. But the self relationship needs to start first. It just needs to start. It needs to be looked at. So if you want to pick the hardest one to start with, that's the one to start with, but you can pick little ones. What's your relationship with food? What's your relationship with sugar? You're trying to lose weight. What's your relationship with sugar? What's your relationship with food? That's where it can get as above. So below it can get into the minutia of it all. Don't ask why, ask how, ask what, ask different questions. If you're trying to accomplish something, you might want to ask yourself, what's your relationship with what you're trying to accomplish? I want to be well-spoken. What's your interaction with the language in which you use? What's your interaction with vocabulary? What's your relationship with language? What's your relationship with vocabulary? These are building blocks. Your relationship with things are things that I think from here on out we can use as building blocks to understand this world of self-awareness. I'm trying to give some sort of definition to terms. And relationships, relations are an important term. It's an interaction between two sources. Those sources might be inanimate or animate. It's a relationship between two sources or a relationship with a source and others. So if I want to be more well-spoken, I can have a relationship with the English language that I might be using or the language thereof I'm using. If I wanted to be a better artist, what's my relationship with how often I'm drawing, how often I'm doing art. Repetition is the mother of all skill. Failure is its father. Go repeat, go fail, go learn. Have a better relationship, a better understanding. So it doesn't just have to start with the, the very micro, but also very macro idea of what's your relationship with yourself. You could use the idea of relationships to then there interact with even the smaller pieces. Okay, I want to lose weight. Well, what's your relationship with food? That's going to be important. What's your relationship with exercise? You don't have to take it so minor. You could just make it major and just be like, what's your interaction? What's your relationship with 
health as an idea. What's healthy to you? What's not healthy to you? So there's, you can change the context to make it fit what you're trying to do with it. And that's why I think relationships are a very important topic for you to discuss with yourself, discuss with others, to, to audit, to interact with. We have a relationship with everything and everything has a relationship with us. Physics at a great deal, or I should say physics at a very high level is the study of interaction, study of relationships. How do things relate? Ecology, geology, sociology, psychology, almost all of the ologies are a study of an interaction, a study of a relationship. That's what we do as humans. We relate. Not just on a, a genetical level, but we relate to our surroundings. We relate to information as it comes in. We're constantly relating. We're constantly creating new relationships. I create a relationship with a cup of coffee before this podcast every time. There's a relationship between the ritual of making the cup of coffee and getting prepared for the podcast. That's a relationship I have. Some just call it a ritual or a habit. What is your relationship with your habits? What are your habits? It's a good way to just take a different, a different frame of mind, a different perspective, because we can change the context, the connotation of the vocabulary in which we're using. What is your relationship with mental health? Does it start from a negative place? I'd like to change that. I'd like you to change the connotation that you're using to describe and or deal with mental health and depression and even self-awareness and just come at it from a neutral standpoint. And then if you want to use something, a great method that I absolutely love, use Greek retroduction. Eliminate all non-plausible ideas. Leave yourself with plausible options. Find the one that fits best and it's probably right. Specifically in the world of ethics and morals and relationships on a personal level between two other individuals, a group of individuals and oneself, or oneself and oneself, eliminating all non-plausible ideas and being left with the most plausible, what seems to be the most correct answer to yourself, hopefully instinctually, is probably going to lead you in the right direction. And if it doesn't, you're going to learn a valuable lesson. Failure is his father. Repetition. So I challenge you to go and look at your relationships and seek balance inside of them and look for how you interact with the world around you and how you interact with yourself and what you can gain not only in knowledge but in wisdom when it comes to these things. So thanks for coming along on this adventure into relationships and uh, I'll see you on the next one. Thanks for listening. Come check us out at taminghindrances.com for show notes, links, resources, and more. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the show via iTunes, Stitcher, RSS, or your preferred platform. If you leave us a spiffy review, 
we might just mention it on the show. Now go be awesome. And just remember to breathe.